0: The volume. Hey, it's The Sessions presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts and more all month long, baby. And when you win, you get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play like the spread, money line, over unders, team totals, player props and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Such a cool feature. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out same game parlay plus. So download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more. Disclaimer. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. I am joined by the one, the only, the legendary Medusa. Alundra Blaze. She's got a brand new book out called The Woman Who Would Be King. I cannot wait to delve into this book. I mean, talking so many different things. Obviously, her time in professional wrestling from WCW, her time in Japan, uh, to WWF, sorry, WWE, however you want to rattle that one off, um, to joining the Monster Truck world, to just life, all of the different life things. She has lived such an incredibly full life. One of the key themes here is transitioning between these different careers. Um, I find that really, really fascinating. So it's just a good chat, a good hang. I've not been able to see her in a little while, so it was really fun just to get to catch up and learn little tidbits. Um, Like, what kind of... (laughs) sexual arousal can happen during sprinting. I found this out today and um, I I hope that you guys enjoy it just as much as I did. (laughs) Such a good fun hang. Honestly, you guys are going to want to pick up her book um, because, yeah, she has really done it all. um, And I feel like she's pretty candid about all of the different experiences. So here it is. This is Medusa. we are on the sessions with Medusa Alundra Blaze. How are you doing? You've got so much going on right now. Holy moly.
2: Thank you for having me. You know, the last time I saw you, I think it was at the WWE, I believe. And you are good at what you do. I absolutely just thought the world of you and the ability of what you're able to do with the earpiece in your ear and people coming at you at 10 different directions. And of course, you know, trying to spit out things that are, you know, making sense, you know, Um, that's a, that's, that's definitely talent.
1: Yeah, that definitely would have been one of the last times I would have seen you would have been at WWE. um, I guess a couple of years ago, it's been probably when you came back to do the rumble, maybe, or with the 24 seven championship, probably during that. There was that as well. And I think we
2: were sitting at the front desk. It was JBL and myself. And he has the biggest crush on me. I'm just going to say <laughs> that. He he tells everybody I have the crush on him. He is oh, so full of himself. JBL, you know, you have a crush on he me. He
1: knows he has a crush. Yeah. He knows. <laughs> Um, okay, so your new book is out, How Exciting, called The Woman Who Would Be King. I actually love this title. Was it hard to come up with the title for your book? I felt like when I was doing my cookbook, I was like, I couldn't land on a title. It took me ages, but this is perfect. I love it.
2: The title of the book, I, I had two others picked out, and I was going back and forth, um, you know, what my title should be. And it it was sticking, and I was happy with it, but I wasn't, you know, that feeling where it just doesn't, hmm. You know, just captures you. I'm a type of person where I've always like I wanted to be different, but with a statement and being a paver, as I call them, paving the way in so many things that that um, I feel that if a woman can be a man, why can't we be a king? And so the title came from a great conversation from a great mutual friend and one of my best friends, Paul Heyman. Paul has been a dear friend way back in AWA days. So we're having this conversation. He's like, Deuce, what, what, what's your titles? And so before I could even really spit anything out, he's like, the woman who would be king.
1: And I'm like, oh, my God. And it came from Paul. Leave it to Paul to title your book, of course, right? The guy is just a master uh, in so many different avenues. The fact that he named your book is great. He also wrote the 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 prologue for your book as well. Is that right?
2: He wrote the foreword uh, to the book, and I couldn't have uh, been more honored. Uh, we've shared so many things in our life uh, together, been through uh, this career, this wonderful career called pro wrestling. And even behind the scenes and, you know, in personal life and being friends and supporting each other. So for him to say yes to do that, it just, it meant the world. I was really, I wasn't even, you know, I just thought I was throwing it around, you know what I mean? You know, and it's, it's best not to expect things in this world or, you know, buy people or anything, cause you won't be let down otherwise, you know what I mean? And so I just, yeah, I just like, Hey, it's a great title. Would you want to write the foreword, like throwing it out there? And he's like, um, "I would have been really disappointed if you didn't ask." So yeah, it was it was a really it was a great fit.
1: What is your relationship with Paul like? I mean, you just said you guys go back to you know the AWA days. You guys have known each other for so long, worked in many different promotions together. What is the status of your guys' relationship? How often do you guys keep in touch and kind of lean on each other throughout your life?
2: Well, I mean, there's texts, you know, there are phone calls, there's pictures, and, you know, we can see each other in town. We're definitely getting together uh, for WrestleMania. And so um, there's stuff like that. Bouncing things off each other, life. Um, You know you're pretty special when he gives you that call and you're invited to... His daughter's bat mitzvah. Oh, so. that's
1: a big one. That's a that really is big one.
2: Huge. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, your book, why was now the time to write the book and put this together? You've lived such a, an incredible life and have done so many things. Why was now the moment to do the book?
2: What else do you do? During a pandemic, except for have lots of sex <laughs> with your <laughs> husband. Amen. Yes. I mean, I did some other crazy things during the pandemic. I mean, I finally, <laughs> I finally, um, I always wanted to play the drums, and nay, I'm telling you, like I bought this this drum set, and it's setting up in my living room and during the pandemic. I just bought this damn drum set, and that's my hi hat, by the way. And so, yeah, that was one of them. And then another was when ECW Press out of Canada, a great company, by the way, um, they worked for years and years uh, publishing books with uh, WWE. And they reached out and said, um, you want to write a book? <laughs> now, how do you put 40 years of entertainment in one book and and Monster
1: Trucks? I know it's not it's not just a wrestling book. Like it's so much more than that. And to condense all of those stories and kind of pick and choose what's going to go in. I'm going to circle back to that in one second because the majority of this will be talking about the book. I want to go back to the drums. Why were the drums the instrument of choice that you wanted to play? I always find this funny because I feel like, like I've always wanted to know how to play the guitar because I'm like, I feel like you can just kind of play the guitar and like maybe sing a little song with it. But with the drums, you're really in your own little world with that. No one just wants to like play me a song on the drum.
2: How in the hell do you sit there in a room trying <laughs> just to listen to music it. with drums? Here, put these put these headphones on while you listen, right, or some earplugs or whatever. Yeah, my yeah. drums, because I've always been told I, you know, I, I I beat to a different drum basically my whole life, my whole career, right? And drums are just um, I always felt it was just a like an extension of me, you know, and how I feel. And I just, it came naturally. And then, so how did I learn? I called, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, she's an announcer, you know, Alicia, Alicia Taylor. Yes.
1: Yeah. She's legit.
2: So I hit her up. I text her. I said, girl, let's get on FaceTime. Can you teach me how to play the drum? She's like, girl, I'll teach you oh anything. My
1: God. That's so great.
2: Yeah. So um, her her and uh, Mickey and I were just out to dinner a little while ago. It was so good seeing them. And uh, it was good to get together with them. But we tried to connect on FaceTime on the whole drum thing. And I said, in the meantime, I'm just going to go on Masterclass and take um, a few drum lessons on there and into the meantime. Who does them
1: on Masterclass? Like Dave Grohl or something, like who's on there drumming? Oh, yeah. Well,
2: no, what the hell is her name? The female drummer. That's who I did it. I can't oh, even gosh. think of her name. I right now. only think
1: of like Meg White. I can't think of who the female drummer would be. No,
2: there's oh, black woman. What the hell is her name? Oh, I keep thinking of Prince's girl. No, no, no. Dun, 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 dun. Sheila E. That's who it was. Sheila E. So that's who I um, took the master class with, and it was amazing. And so um, I'm glad I live on five acres plus. So when I'm banging, no one, uh, you know, banging on the drums. Let's just make that I clear. I mean, kind
1: of both. You did say that you were having a lot of sex during the pandemic. So no one here's a peep. But anyway, yes, it was
2: it was really amazing. And then my husband, he got further into his guitar. Um, he bought like tons of guitars and just I mean, what else do you do during the pandemic? And then we started to restore and redo things around the house and I mean, it was just one of those things and got into gardening. So, I mean, it just can go on and on and on.
1: Um, Okay, so the book. Let's get back to the book because, yeah, how do you really sum up your life into these chapters? How did you kind of figure out how you wanted to block the book out and tell these stories? What was going to make the cut? What was going to be left on the editing room floor? There's so much to you.
2: The book is written... um, about my life. It's not about anybody else. It's not about five seconds of pleasure by throwing anybody under the bus or anything like that. I don't think that is, I mean, why, why do that? But the book was designed um, and working with Greg Oliver out of ECW press on the book. And I'm all about, you know, fact checking this whole project because after 40 years of entertainment, how do you remember exact uh, dates and times and whatnot. And so, thank God, Greg Oliver is a fact checker. Like, oh my God. So, you know, he was calling people, checking up history, making sure all these events happened or this has happened here or this was right. So, because what was a big concern of mine for this book is that people are going to go through it and you're going to, they're going to be like, that didn't happen. Oh, yeah, she's lying. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just take care of that before any of that crap happens. So, um, there might be a misspelled word that we didn't catch, or the editor. That you know, we're only human. I don't know. I, as far as I saw, I didn't see any.
1: I'll tell you, nothing's more annoying though than having the book go to press, and you're like, "Fuck, this word's spelled wrong." <laughs> that happened to me. I was like, I did that with my book when I, I like put. I think like I, I omitted part of a recipe or some kind of ingredient, and I was like, "It's out there now. It's done."
2: I understand. And then when you, when they say, "Okay, this is your," okay, you have. This is your second to last chance to make any changes. But when you do, it only can be one or two words. And you only have so much to put in or take out because it'll screw up the whole page. And then I'm like, OK, you needed to take this out. And No, this needed to go in. And you're only praying to God, like, I hope it all got in or this was taken out. But I did need to tell you the truth. I changed some names and um, only because uh, people change in life. and. Um, when they, when I say change, you know, sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's not, but you know, who am I to here to judge? Right. But also they also have a new life. They have, they may have siblings or they may have other things going on in their life, which is completely innocent to their past. So, um, but I mean, I can't help if they were a dick in the past either, but anyway, sure, yeah, the book isn't about, you know, pointing out people's, you know, mm-hmm bad habits or how bad they were. It was, uh, it was a life. It was a life experience. It was my story and the things I had to do and go through and adversities and endure and the things that I chose to overcome. You had to um, go through the process to go through and hit failure and then to overcome failure. And to me, failure is not really a destination. It's only a blueprint.
1: I would like to kind of clarify here because I feel like people that are listening to this might assume that you're just talking in, uh, in terms of the wrestling world of changing names and things that have happened, whatever, but that's not what this book necessarily is all about. Of course there's wrestling in there, but you really delve into a lot of who you are in your childhood, how you grew up, the things that you have been through. Is that kind of more what you're referencing than just the wrestling world?
2: No, I mean, a little bit of everything. I mean, monster trucks and wrestling, uh, personal life. um, I tell stories um, with her and them or him without mentioning names just for that reason. You know, when you get two calls saying that, hey, if you mention my name, I'm going to sue your ass.
1: Did you have that? That happened? People called you and like warned you, don't don't say my name.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, my God. I would love to know who that was. (laughs) (laughs) I know you would. (laughs) I mean, you know that you have like fucked up when you need to make the first call to go. Don't you don't run my name through the mud. If that's your first instinct, you fucked up.
2: Exactly. And that right there just I mean, it just validated everything. And I'm like, God, I just want to do it just because. But again, this does not scare me. You should be scared for your own life. But it wasn't about that going through things like that. You realize what you have went through. Right. I'm not perfect. I've made bad choices in my life, but you overcome that um, and and you move forward. So would I be here to judge anybody right now unless something like that is happening in your life? Then I feel that you should take care of it personally. Um, And I'm a big stickler and, you know, not putting so much personal crap out on social media. Like, I, I don't ever believe in this thing is like when I break up with a guy or something, I, I need to make an announcement.
1: I know we've really gotten into this whole oversharing situation. It's funny, I can feel myself pulling back a lot of like, if I just go to post something random, I'm like, oh, who cares? Why am I posting this? Nobody cares about this. I don't care about this. But we have this need to overshare every little aspect of everything we're doing. It is kind of nice to just not do that sometimes.
2: It is. I, I'm glad I have someone do my social media, but, but I okay everything. And I still think that, you know, once a day is too much. I'd like to post something once every three days, you know?
1: Oh, I, that's me. I'll look at it and go, Oh go, shit, i have not posted anything in a minute. Here's my, here's a selfie. I don't know. Like I can totally check out sometimes too. Um, okay. So going through all of these different moments, these different tentpole moments in your life and putting them into the book, as you're going through all these and then finishing the book, How did you feel about yourself afterwards doing this? Did you sort of just be able to check back in with yourself and go, shit, look at what I've done. Look at this life that I've lived. Look at these things that I've overcome. Did you have a little bit more appreciation for yourself once you kind of acknowledged all of these things again and kind of relived it?
2: My husband will tell you, like, I am the worst. Like, I have been. I know this is going to sound very strange, but self-deprecating has been my worst. And when we do that, it's just it it says what you say about yourself. And so in the last, you know, I'm gonna say maybe the last five, seven years, I've I've worked really hard on not doing that. And it's really changed my outlook and who I am and how I perceive things or how I choose people around me or the, you know, conversations because I'm at an age, nay, that I can do and say and choose who I want and what I want to do, you know, and Thank God for financially that I've, I'm able to do that. It's, you know, called having legs to stand on, but it always never has been like that. It's been very rough my whole careers, both of them, you know, even starting over in monster trucks, it was like going back in the eighties and reestablishing everything, working your way, getting women the credit, you know, that they are due. And it's just like, wow, 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 wow.
1: It's so cool to me to think of like what you were doing for women in professional wrestling so early on. And I know you've always been given your flowers for what you've done for women's wrestling. But I feel like you kind of get it even more so now because the business has changed so much and wrestling has changed. It's kind of like, oh, shit, like these women were actually putting on matches like this before the, you know, the, the divas era and no shade to, to that at all. But you guys were putting on those matches. You guys were in Japan putting on these amazing matches, what you and Bull Nakano, especially, were able to do. But I think you guys just get so much more appreciation now for that. So for you to have lived through that part of wrestling and the different territories, the different promotions, et cetera, et cetera, then go into Monster Truck and then do those battles again. Oh my God. Like, are you exhausted for just being this like torchbearer for women? Like, constantly
2: you know what it did is it it seasoned me wrestling seasoned me for what I needed to and what I was ready to step into monster truck so I was really gung-ho and and excited to do that because I knew exactly what to do I knew what I was up against I knew how to rattle the cage per se I knew how men thought I knew how they ate I knew how they you know everything about them so I knew how they worked and so the manipulation that they played, I had a counter move to that. And so when they put me up on the scene, they weren't ready. And especially when I won two championships in the Monster Jam, you know, world finals twice, the blowback was, and especially coming from an executives was now what the hell are we going to do a woman won. That's exactly what one of them said. And I was like, are you kidding me? Whoa. And so going back to what you said as well, Nay, is that Yes, there is more recognition to women of my era, which I call the lost era.
1: It really is the lost era. Does that kind of keep a bit of a chip on your shoulder?
2: Believe me, I, I was jaded uh, a long time in pro wrestling. I, w- I was good. I was good. at. I was, you know, I was good to pro wrestling. Pro wrestling wasn't good to me. It was because of that. So you had your June buyers, you had your Moolahs and your Mays, you know, and that wonderful, great start of women, you know, 60 years, 70 years, whatever ago. But if it wasn't for those women, um, there wouldn't have been the next era, which was a little jump of your Wendy Richter's, your Sherry Martell's, um, you know, your Jumping Bomb Angels and your Glamour Girls, right? And you had that whole wonderful thing when Wendy Richter was in the first WrestleMania. My God. Right. And then you had a little bit of a stint on the second and third, maybe. And then really, we didn't have a woman's wrestling WrestleMania match until WrestleMania 10, which was mine against Leilani Kai. And so our social media back then was relied on people that wrote for the magazines and they were writing their story, how they thought they would put our interviews in their voice, which we never basically said. So we had no control. So when I look back, like I have a lot of old magazines from the eighties and stuff from interviews that allegedly that I gave, you know, and it's like, I never said any of that crap. You know what I mean? So it, it was, it was, I, I used to call them pen pushers that, you know, that was our social media and we relied on that. And so fast forward, when you said, given your flowers, thank God for social media. So, People are able to go back in history and look at what everything that was there um, and the people that were there before and um, for WWE to have one active person from before the Attitude Era, as I always say, there's there's always everything we see from the Attitude Era forward, which is fantastic. Right. And if we keep pushing that, then that's all they know. But if we educate something a little bit before, then they're going to want to do some history, want to do some, you know, you know, kick it up and knowledge themselves and what was. So I'm I'm thankful for what I do and have with WWE um, intermittently that they when they do give you a call, because I feel that it's not just helping me. It helped represents the women before the Attitude Era. And I see that as a whole now and I was, man. I had to step out of wrestling in 2001 when I retired. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm out of this shit show. I didn't like the way, the direction where women was going, and I hated how they were writing women, even in WCW at that time. And I didn't want to do bra panties. I didn't want to do barbecue matches and tear off your nightgown. And kudos to the women that stuck it out during the Attitude Era because, hell, they didn't have another choice, right? So you had to do what you had to do. It was their contract. But, you know, again, we have choices You can say yes and you can say no.
1: I think we all just assume that that is what those women wanted to do. And I'm sure that no, that's not what the case is. Just kind of like, listen, it's a paycheck. I got bills to pay and it's a little bit of TV time. Get a little bit of notoriety doing X, Y and Z. And uh, and then, you know, you there you go. Off to the races you are. But yeah, it's not necessarily the that's what I'm signing up for.
2: But then again, maybe there was some that wanted that, that, you know, and that's, I'm not going to put put them down either, but if that was their choice, that was their choice. But there was a lot of women there that loved wrestling and that were damn good at it, that were thrown into the mix. So come 2001 and WCW was about 98, 99. And I knew my contract was coming to an end and I just gave them my notice. I said, I'm done. I'm out of here. And then of course I had a friend over there in WWE that said, Hey, i Maybe buying WCW. And I'm like, I'm out, man. I'm no because if fight gets rolled over, I trade Mark Medusa over 40 years ago. And I'm like, that name ain't being run. No, I'm keeping that name and I'm out. And that's exactly what I did. And then I got a call probably around 99 from Mike Weber. He worked for WCW. Now he's the COO of Fight TV. And uh, he said, "Deuce, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Mike, how the hell are you?" And I'm like, "I'm out of this shit show, man. I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna go into gardening. I'm gonna ride my Harley. I'm I'm out." And he's like, "Deuce, you're a gearhead. You ride Harleys, dirt bikes. Uh, do you want to drive a monster truck?" And I'm like, "What the hell is a monster truck?" <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> I'm like, "I've never even heard of one. Like, I know you mean I'm those big trucks and the mudder things." He's like, "Yeah, that." He goes. We have no women drivers. We don't have, we need, we need women in the stands. dude. you're crazy. Do you think you want to test drive one? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then all of a sudden they flew me out to Kill Devil Hills. And I test drove with the legendary Dennis Anderson of Gravedigger and history was made.
1: And that just seems like it's, I mean, obviously it was and is such a natural fit for you to just go, okay, Still performing now in this avenue, still being that like that paver, as you said, uh, to, to get more women in there. Have more women. Has that grown in Monster Truck?
2: So there must be there. Of course, there's like 100 drivers and probably 15, 20 women drivers. So there's still that. But big, big difference. I mean, I was the only driver for, you know, probably five years and then finally getting another woman in there. You know, and it's just a slowly, you know, a slow process. And, oh, my gosh, just see what has happened and transpired from there. And the evolution of that is incredible.
1: How different was like the day to day in Monster Truck kind of building that whole women's evolution in Monster Truck versus what it was like in those not even just the early days in in pro wrestling, essentially your entire career in pro wrestling. How, what was sort of the parallels between the two in terms of of being like that first woman?
2: Um, When I first started, I knew I had to, I I did my due diligence knowing what I had to do. Thank God I knew about the entertainment business and what I, you know, uh, the needs for a woman, right? And what they would want to see. Now I'm highly competitive. I mean, I'm so competitive that the husband and I, it gets serious around here during air hockey. Like it gets bloody.
1: John and I, I will kick his ass at air hockey every damn me, time. Me too. We
2: should have, we'll have, oh have my a little God. a tournament,
1: yeah. Yes. Oh my God. I love it.
2: So air hockey is my jam, man. I love it. We love and air he hockey he gets too. so mad. By the time you can tell when we come walking around the house, we're bloody and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jonathan's been at it again. <laughs> air hockey. But anyway, I'm very highly competitive. So I knew when I stepped into Monster Drugs, like this is my jam, man. This is awesome because pro wrestling's entertainment, right? With monster trucks, I'm like, God, this is it. I get to get back into competition and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, the truck alone was what? Around $300,000. You have your whole semi and trailer. It's probably another 250,000. And then you have to have another truck in back of the trailer. So that's another 300,000. So it's almost $2 million a year to run one of these. So I knew what I needed to do. So I sat down, did my diligence and said, what would a little girl want to do to become a monster truck driver? So I made it about the gimmicks. So I created this thing called Queen of Carnage. So it started off with the red, white and blue, came out to Lenny Kravitz, you know, American woman. It was so powerful, right? And then and the red, white, and blue, and Medusa, and Made in the USA, and um, did that sheen for a while, and then I I turned it over and did a whole pink gimmick, and that's when I brought out the tiaras, and I'd wear a tutu over my fire suit during our signings, and the you know during our pit party, and then all of a sudden it caught on, and the little girls I'd come out and I would give a free tiara to little girls, and later it became for little. Girls and boys, and they would all like wear their heart
1: sunglasses. You get it? Yes. You Get the tiara.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing, and they would wait in line for like three hours. It was just, it was so good. So I knew what to do as far as marketing there. But then I had to have a catchphrase, Queen of Carnage. It was great, and then that's how I got my nickname because I always crashed, and it was so expensive. But it was Queen of Carnage, known and um. It stuck. It was just one of those things that, again, it worked. And all of a sudden, little girls are like, I want to be just like you. And I want to be a monster truck driver. And so, Nay, there is a beautiful story about a little girl. It just, oh, warms my heart. One time, I was going through all of my emails. It was a fan mail email address. And there was this little girl. I can't tell you everything. It's in the book, guys. You got to check it out. And how this little girl was at one of our shows. She was like, I don't know, 12 at the time or something. And she's like, I want to be just like, you I want to become a monster truck driver. How do I do? You know, what do I need to do? And I said, you know what? This is what you need to do. It's never been done. Do this and you're going to be double than what I am. And by the way, I'll see you at the green light and you're going to have to read the story.
1: Oh, Oh, it is so incredible.
2: So just to know that I've, you know, changed or helped people's lives um is incredible. You know, in pro wrestling and monster trucks, we really capture people's lives more than we know. Sometimes they set aside everything as far as it's financial or if it's planning their trips, or maybe it's just at home watching SmackDown or Raw. And they, it's a family gathering and it makes people come together and in more ways than we even realize because We're just on the back end and we're always hustle bustle and we're running to get to TV or we got to do this. We got to do that. We're working out. We're trying to make right. and We're trying to put on social media. But if we just breathe and just realize, like, remember where we were at and what people are really going through and um, what it does for people, it's pretty remarkable.
0: The NBA season is heating up. And now is a perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000, that's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drained. So don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash Renee. That's Fanduel.com slash Renee, R-E-N-E-E, to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because Fanduel is coming soon. Make sure you check out Fanduel.com slash Mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with Fanduel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA disclaimer 21 plus and present in select states first online real money wager only ten dollar deposit required refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days restrictions apply see full terms at fanduel.com sportsbook gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com rg for colorado iowa minneapolis new jersey pennsylvania illinois tennessee virginia and ohio 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 for arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. one 877 stop for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit one 1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
1: So you're talking about that little girl and talking about these moments with kids and obviously you're somebody that you want to leave the world better than you left it. You're changing things and you are you're you know you're you're making such a name for yourself in so many different worlds. In the one sheeter that I got to about your book, it said that the one thing that had eluded you was motherhood. Did you want to be a mom at one point or you were so laser focused on these other areas of life for yourself?
2: Both. And I will tell you, it is that was part of the onion that was peeling back when writing your story. That was the hardest. And I explain a lot in that chapter that is going to probably like, what? And these are hard facts. These are hard facts. We talked about... The lost era, or the women before, or whatever, and the things that we had to do or choose or endure because of the love of what we the choice that we wanted to do as far as our career. And from that choice forward, and knowing what I was up against, I still went against the grain. And I thought, in a couple ways, that hey, I can wait. Because I can always do it later. In my book explains all of that and the steps that I did. And the story just hits home every time. And there's a part in there because when I went back in 2015 for the Hall of Fame, I got to know all of the wonderful talent. And I was very scared and skeptical going back because I thought it was the way wrestling was before. And I was very scared. I didn't know what to expect, but let me tell you, it was 100% different. It was beautiful. Everybody was welcoming and um, they were very, very nice. And I know this sounds crazy, but until you read the story or that chapter or the book, whatever, you'll understand. I really, really lived, watched and, and like vicariously sort of through the Bellas
1: you see a version of somebody, and even for yourself, I mean, you know, we've been able to hang out tons of times, but when you see someone on a TV day or you see someone in the ring, you've watched someone on television, it's those vulnerable moments of you being you and and what kind of makes you tick and how your mind is working during those moments that uh, yeah, it makes me very intrigued to read some of these chapters in your book and just to like just to know more about exactly who you are. We know the larger than life trailblazer.
2: We just see what we see. So we assume, and that my husband, my husband is so good for me. Nay, It's just incredible. I mean, he's 31 years military and he's a command Sergeant major of the army and he's very structured and he's very well-spoken, highly intelligent and just would do speeches for the army. It's, you know, et cetera. And he's just been very good for me in so many ways by seeing things differently, you know, and having that, that difference instead of in the business and out of the business, you know, it works for some of us and some of us it it does or doesn't. Um, I've tried both, yeah. so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so eh, this one's worked the best out of all of my marriages. He's really given me uh, – I mean, after 13 years, he's just given me a different perspective on so many yeah. things. Yeah, no, it, and,
1: it's, uh, it's very, very true. Um, okay, so one thing, too, that I found really cool about what, what your book is and, like, what you do is helping people make these transitions through their career because I think for a lot of people, I mean – God, from, you know, obviously, you know, we've talked about Wrestling World, we've talked about Monster Trucks, you've done so many different things, even out, I didn't know you were a Reiki instructor, like, I didn't know that about you, you have all these different things that make you tick, but I think a lot of times people can kind of shoehorn themselves and be like, oh, I'm this one thing, but then that one thing stops working for you, and it's time to move on to the next thing, and a lot of people obviously really struggle with that, it's hard. Um, How do you help people in transitioning into different careers? And and, yeah, how do you guide people through that?
2: So transitions is another part of my jam because that's all I've ever done is transition. And the reason why transitions are so uh, important and to be aware of and prepared is because we never know when they're coming. They're already happening. Transitions are already happening in your life. And right now, Renee, there's a transitioning happening in your life and you don't know it yet good, bad, or indifferent, it's its called learning the signs. It could be very powerful and good. As some of it may be upsetting, but it's turning those upset moments into that powerful moment to make it, you know, a, a positive. So the transitions in life came from fight or flight.
1: You must have had to adapt to that very early. Being in the foster care system, being through different homes, you must have talked to me about adapting to that so early on to just exist
2: you're forced in the immediate transition but yet the transition already happening so you're already feeling these transitionings and you're you know you're kind of going through life and going well why did that just happen oh i don't know but i'll fix it but that's part of it a transition and so your intuitions is your immediate feeling that is awakening those transitions so with the fight or flight All of that reacting together, that is what has put me into the mindset of this transition power that I can help people transition uh, at a smooth pace and and understanding and accepting. Um, Sometimes we don't want to accept what's happening, but that is the transitioning that is happening. So we have to learn to uh, adapt and make it our own and make it better. So- the fight or flight I always come. It's it's a scary feeling, and I would get that a lot in relationships. If it's men, or if it's family, if it's my upbringing, or my friends, or you know whatever. And my immediate, you nay, know, I can in five seconds flat. When I, it's kind of like a prey. You see, you see an eagle or something flying, and you have your little five pound dog. It's a reaction. It's like taking charge of before something happens, right? Before he comes down for that feeding. And so, and which is horrible. I don't know why I said that, but, (laughs) (laughs) but that fight or flight is like, I can see something coming in the fight or flight situation. And I have already in five seconds planned out everything I needed to do to get to the end. All of these things that I've done in my life is because of all of that. And I knew that nothing is forever. We are here. We may not be here tomorrow, but I know that I've lived a life of loving everything I've done, good, bad, or indifferent. And I know that the decisions that I've made and knowing that nothing is forever that I've chose that. Hey, during wrestling, I put myself through school for grooming, and I became a master groomer for show dogs. And then I had, um, I opened up my own brick and mortars, you know, grooming shops because I didn't know if wrestling was going to last. And so I always had an outlet. And so doing that, I just thought, well, I can do that and do this, and and I'm sure I, I did. And then. You know, from there, I, I had that. And then um, I've always been into health and fitness and, you know, trying to do the right thing. And I do have my vices. Once a year, I buy a large freaking Mickey D's with extra salt on the fries. Once a year.
1: Once a year? Oh my gosh. I know. It's, I know. <laughs> I, I
2: should do two a year. I don't know. But, but, Quarterly. but then they, there's other shit that I have. Yeah. <laughs> then there's other shit that I have to make up all okay, the other okay. differences. So. I'm not fricking perfect. Um, I fucking love my red wine. So, Hey, ah, there's that. Amen. Right. Yeah. So then, you know, during health and stuff, I think it was 2011. I said, fuck it. I'm going to be in a yoga instructor too. <laughs> and so I did all my, do my di- diligence and I'm sitting there looking and I thought fuck, I'm going to go there. And so I went on an Island in the Bahamas somewhere and I lived in a freaking tent for six to eight weeks and, ate vegan food out of the freaking ground and helped worked in the kitchen and that would become a yogi. And that was like, yeah. And then I started, you know, teaching and doing and whatever. And then I just basically use it for myself and friends and, and then, you know, and I went off and I studied Reiki and then I went to Japan on this, this really awesome mountain where Reiki was originated from and up there and studied and walk this big mountain. And I, I mean, just on and on life. Life is just explorative. Like there is so much to do out there. You know, now I'm getting to the age of where, again, as I was telling you to fully circle back is that I don't give a shit. I'm going to do and say what I want you know, respectfully. But I mean, for my own self-life, I mean, damn it, if I feel like I want to go out and buy my third freaking Harley, then I'm going to do it, you know? And ride to Alaska or something. You know, my granny rode her Harley until she was 80 something. So what the hell?
1: Respect. Hell yeah.
2: Yeah, she's badass. You'd love her. She's 100. Drives her truck still. She makes wedding dresses for women across the United States. She still sews. She still re furniture. She's booked and busy. She's got to go. That's the key. I said, granny, what's the secret? She goes, just keep active.
1: Keep your schedule booked. You've got places to be. There's no time to get sick and die. You've got you got to keep going. Good for her. Uh, Right. As you, you know, you pull the trigger on doing all these things. Is there something you're like, fuck, I do wish I did that.
2: Well, there's one thing it's in the book, but I'll share it. So there's this transition that was happening and I was like, okay, God, what do I do? Do I follow through with this or continue with pro wrestling? So I don't know if this was before your time. So do you remember the name Christy Martin? No. Okay. She was a boxer. She was in the Don King, like the whole Don King little farm. Right. And so I was like, I can do that. Ever since, like when I was, when I went to Japan and, you know, I was the first to live over there for three years and did the whole thing. I was, and I transitioned and they sent me to Thailand to learn Muay Thai and Get my ass beat and have my nose shoved over it on my face. And oh my God. I was like, okay, I really dig boxing. I can do this. So I really started getting into boxing. And, and then they had me do these street fights and these boxing matches. And oh my God. And then I was really getting into it. And I was like, okay, I'm losing my little thing here. I thought it was wrestling, but now I'm boxing. But I was really getting into it and I was damn good, nay. It's like a lot of things, whatever I do, I was good at. Like I just because my mind, it was just mindset, nay. It's mindset, honey.
1: I mean, I don't know that it's anybody can, but it's impressive.
2: it's it's, again,
1: whatever you choose,
2: mindset is everything, whatever you choose. So not everyone would be at boxing. You're right. Could be good at it. But whatever you choose. Okay, so I started started like really working out and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get into this and I'd run eight miles on the sand. I hate running. It can suck my ass. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I fucking and hate running, running on the sand Fug on sand that. on the beach yeah Fug when it's that. up to your knees and eight miles I'm like I don't do this like I the first time I ran like track and field and I was a gymnast in high school that's when I had my first orgasm was fucking running <laughs> oh yeah Wait, I am not kidding I was
1: <laughs> yes. uh, dude I am not kidding <laughs> Oh my gosh, what an experience. Did you have to stop running or did you run faster?
2: No, dude, I remember. I can see it right now in my freaking head. I'm running down, and I'm running the 440 or the 880. And what happened was you're so fucking exhausted and you're hot and your whole body and shit and all of a sudden shit's probably rubbing together down there and you're
1: like, what is that feeling? That is so funny. Too many, we've had a lot of orgasm talks. We've had Nikki Bella on, we're trying orgasms with her too. That's very funny. I got
2: scared, though, and I quit. I thought, fuck, is that shit's happened to me. I don't know what that was. I'm still a virgin. Shit, Nay, I didn't get my period until I was 18, 19 years old.
1: 18, 19. And dude, I just, I just turned 60, so I was like, ah. You look fucking great, by the way. Thank you. I saw you on the thing for NXT, and I was like, ma'am, excuse me? Oh. You look great.
2: Yeah, you look awesome. But anyway, congratulations. So anyway, that's it. I'm going to tell you, sex. I'm telling you. I know as you get older, or I don't know, babies, whatever. But I'm telling you, it just it helps.
1: Sex is definitely a cure all. Keeps us young, keeps us fresh. Good for a little glow. Good to reconnect. But at a bare minimum, go for a run and hope for an orgasm. Who knows? Um, how much of the WCW situation did you get into in your book? I would be remiss to not ask you about this um, because it, it's it's the big moment, of course. Yes, the title going in the trash, your situation with WWF at the time. You must have broke down a lot of that in the book. I sure did. And the whole thing is, is I... You know,
2: maybe I still—I know ha- I do have the title still.
1: Ah, yes,
2: I do. I do. Now the whole thing is is when I had that title and I brought it with me, you know, for the um, Hall of Fame, and I said I want to do the whole speech around the title and how I feel that maybe you guys are doing a change or this whole new evolution of women. And um, I have not seen or talked to Vince at this point. I was speaking to the writer, right? So I had my whole speech already done, right? And I heard the whole thing is like, they're going to take your speech and they're going to, you know, they'll take things out and change it and whatever. And so the guy came back and they said, it's perfect. I said, what? Like not one thing did they take out, not one thing. Everything I had in there, they left. And then I said, I have an idea, I said, do you mind if I get a trash can? I, there's a couple of things I want to pull out. And I said, I want to pull out the title and do something positive and told them what I want to do. And then Carano at the time, he said, Did you see your t shirt? I'm like, No. And they came out with the t shirt with the title hanging from the trash can. Oh. That was my WWE um, Hall of Fame t shirt. Like, I'm kidding. I said, WWE made this? And they're like, Yeah, they're freaking great. They're going great. I'm like, oh my God. So they okayed everything. So Natty slid out the trash can and I said this about Eric Bishop's book. And I said this about the barbecue sauce with JR. And then I said, oh, wait a minute. Is this what y'all were looking for is the title? And then after the show, I just, you know, I came up, I said, Vince, here's your title. After all these years, I said, this is yours. He goes, no, keep it. I'm like, what? Okay. Now- I've made more money now than I ever did in WWE. <laughs> I mean, you know, working the whole title gimmick. Yeah. yeah, of
1: course. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Are you working with NWA now as a producer?
2: I am. And so. How's I, that? It's great. I didn't know, you know, like that would be a thing, but I got a call from Pat Kenny and he's like, Deuce, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, you know, just do my thing and blah, blah, blah. I'm talking and. He's like, uh, you're you're missing your call. I go, what are you talking about? I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm not getting back in the ring. Right. Like, And he's like, well, no, you uh, producer agent. And I'm like, what? Well, OK, let me think about that. And then we spoke and I came out and it's now it's been a year and a half. Yeah, year and
1: a half. Wow. How are you liking wearing that hat? And what is it like working with Billy Corgan?
2: So it's really great. Let me tell you something about Billy. Billy is talk about an imagineer. To be who he is, he gets it right, and to own and whatever with the Smashing Pumpkins, and that for that to be you know a success and where it has been and where it's going, um, he gets it. But he's always been a fan of pro wrestling, and this man's mind will blow you away. Like he knows more wrestling than like he'll pull crap out, and I'll be like, what? <laughs> what is that true? Like yeah, what? Yeah. You know, he loves the NWA and the history, the rich history of it, and he loves the old school like that TV vibe feel, that, you know, studio. And I thought, well, what the hell? Everything else is kind of the same out there. You know what I mean? And it's great working for this company and having that history and that feel and that studio. And it's it's a different vibe. I will tell you, Nay, there is like no problems in the background. Oh, room. that's
1: cool. That's nice. Yeah. That's really It amazing. is
2: drama less like you have your few things makeup
1: you know stuff like that makeup is always the hub of some kind of shit going down always the damn women and the makeup i swear it is always something happening always it's so funny
2: (laughs) and then you know you just kind of work it out but otherwise it's great
1: Well, Medusa, I'm so pumped that I got to have you on here. I cannot wait to like fully delve into your book. You gave like some little nuggets, but I think to, you know, kind of what we said of like really unpeeling that onion. We know who you are. We've seen you in so many different things, but to like really tap into who you are, what you've been through, the ups and downs, all that. I'm really looking forward to reading your book. And it's just fun to catch up with you.
2: Thank you for having me. And, uh, Again, where you said it, where it's kind of parallel, people don't know you because they only see what's out there or what sometimes even in a text or what you write on social media, the tone is so different. So they only perceive one thing. But until you really get to see somebody in an interview or you're chatting with them or sitting down and some wine or whatever, I mean, it's just different. I can't wait to have some wine with you sometime. And thank you, producers in the back. Hanging with me till I figured out my microphone <laughs> stuff, man. That's speak volumes.
1: Hey, it can be a struggle sometimes. Doing all this tech stuff is like No, thank doozy, God for my tech so guy. Shout out to those guys that do understand it, honestly.
2: Yes. Thanks, Nay. I appreciate it. Wish you much success and another cookbook.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks to Medusa for joining me here on the show. Deuce. What a cute nickname. I love that. I'm calling her Deuce from here on out. That only. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed this hang. Definitely make sure to pick up her book. You guys can order it on Amazon. um, Find it in bookstores. The Woman Who Would Be King. The name put together by Paul E. Of course, Paul Heyman comes up with it all. Doesn't miss a beat, that guy. Um, All right, guys, make sure to check out more sessions. We've got tons of cool interviews in the can already that will be coming your way. I'm very excited about them all. And uh, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube just search Renee Paquette or The Sessions and it will all come up. I have a cold if you couldn't tell, so if my brain's not really all here, that's why. It's covered in phlegm. Bye guys, this has been (laughs) The Sessions.